0: Hey, welcome to Access. John here. Are you looking for a place to belong? I grew up in church and I can tell you that sometimes even I can feel like an outsider. And we want to be a church that everyone can feel at home in. From the seasoned believer to the person who's just not sure if God is really out there at all. So we're pouring all of our attention into small groups. Small groups are where we want to hear from you and to help you take root and grow in the Lord by building relationships with other people just like you. For more information on small groups, we ask that you send us an email at fbcrungee at gmail.com with your name and information, and title the email, I'm interested in small groups. We really believe that God can take the worst of criminals and transform them into the godliest saint. So today's message is the first message in a four-part series called All About Entitlement, which we believe will get down to the root of all of our problems. Today's message is entitled, Entitlement Runs Deep.
1: Welcome back. It's a lesson about the American Dream, and all you parents and kids out there cannot afford to miss this segment. Joining us right now is economics professor at Valencia College down in Florida, Jack Chambliss. Jack, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. I understand on uh, one of the first days of your class, which is predominantly sophomores, you asked the kids to get out, write a 10-minute essay on what the American Dream means to them, and this year the results were jaw-dropping. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, in addition to asking them what the American dream looks like for them, I then had them write specifically what they wanted the federal government to do to help them achieve that dream. I took the essays from three classes, about 180 students, back to my office and over the next day poured over them. About 10 percent of the students uh, said that they wanted the government to leave them alone and not tax them too much and let them regulate their own lives. Uh, But over 80% of the students uh, said that that the American dream to them meant a house and a job and uh, plenty of money for retirement and vacations and things like this. But when it came to the part about the federal government, uh, 8 out of 10 students said that they wanted free health care. They wanted the government to pay for their tuition. They wanted the government to pay for the down payment on their house. Uh, They expected the government to, quote, give them a job. Uh, Many of them said that they wanted the government to tax wealthier individuals so that they would have an
0: opportunity to have a better life. Does the level of entitlement in our culture today just about make you sick? Now I think it's undeniable there is an attitude of entitlement in our country, in our generation, in our culture, and it has become an epidemic. It seems like not only does everybody want a handout, but they feel as if they deserve it. My generation, the millennials, we're accused of being the most entitled generation ever. And that is until the next generation comes along. I think we as a culture believe that we're owed special treatment. I've heard it said on several occasions, young people today, they just don't know how to work for things and they seem to want everything handed to them. Well, I would agree with these people on one front, we do have a serious problem in our culture. I think, I think entitlement is not an age problem. It's not limited to age. Now, I know the 20-year-old kids that are extremely easy to be around and they have an excellent work ethic and a, and a great attitude about life. And I also know 60, 70, even 80-year-old people that are extremely difficult to get along with and to be around because they make everybody around them miserable. Everybody has to walk on eggshells around them because these people seem to act like they are entitled to special treatment. If you don't uh, give me what I want, well, then I'll make your life miserable. See, entitlement isn't an age problem. It's a people problem. So what is entitlement? Entitlement is the attitude or belief that I don't have to take responsibility for my life and that I'm owed special treatment. The man who feels entitled thinks he's above all the rules. The woman who feels entitled thinks that when she's mistreated, it's up to others to make it up to her. But we need to make this distinction early. Entitlement is not the person who has needs or struggles with things that they can't deal with on their own. Entitlement is the person who is capable of taking care of him or herself and still expects others to do that for them because they feel owed. Entitlement's all over the place. It's in the boyfriend who pressures his girlfriend to be intimate with him because if you really love me, we do this. It's in the spouse who thinks everything that's going wrong with their marriage is all their spouse's fault. It's in the able-bodied adult child who continues to live with his parents, refusing to work, contribute to the home's upkeep, or even clean up after themselves. It's in the worker that, that thinks that um, they can get by on the minimum amount of work and that they don't have to put in any kind of effort, even though they agreed to do that when they were hired. Where does entitlement come from? I mean, like, why well, has it gotten so out of control? Well, believe it or not, entitlement goes all the way back to the beginning. We first see the attitude of entitlement in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read this passage and see if you can spot entitlement when you see it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now the first thing the serpent does, and we need to make this distinction... The first thing he, get, he does is he gets Eve to question not only God's command, but how the command was delivered to her. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, this is what it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, I will make a suitable helper for him. Now, just real quick, I want to go down a, a rabbit trail ra- ra- excuse me, a rabbit trail, if you don't mind. Uh, in this passage, God says to Adam, "It's not good for man to dwell alone. I will make a suitable helper for him." Um, John Ortberg says in his books, every, in his book, "Everybody's normal Until you get to know them." He says, "In the garden, Adam was in a perfect relationship with God. He walked with Him in the cool of the evening. He he perfectly fulfilled his responsibility to have dominion over the earth." his relationship with God was perfect. Yet God still says it's not good that man should dwell alone. Now we commonly look at that verse, we commonly associate it with marriage and absolutely so because it is linked to a relationship between a husband and a wife. But if you look at this, it also can be linked to belonging to a small group community. Now, you probably heard your whole life. There's a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. Well, according to this passage, we learn that there's not only a God-sized hole in our hearts that only God can fill. There's also a people, community-sized hole in our heart that God refuses to fill. Translation, we need community to be spiritually healthy. I just think it's something to, you know, this is something to think about if you don't want to be a part of a small group and you don't want to get more involved with the relationships in the church. So anyway, back to my original point, God, if you look at it, God never told Eve in scripture not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis chapter two, God tells Adam not to eat from the tree before Eve was created, which could indicate that God never directly told Eve not to eat the forbidden fruit but that she instead was told and relied on this information by Adam what God had said. So not only does the serpent get Eve to question God's authority, he does it by creating friction between Adam and Eve. He is breaking down relationships here. So either God told Eve the same thing on a separate occasion, or Eve repeats what Adam must have told her. But God said we would die if we did this. Translation. God said there will be consequences if we disobey him. Now, immediately the serpent plants a seed of entitlement in her heart. Remember, entitlement is not accepting responsibility for your life. This is what he says. He says, you won't surely die. In other words, God's lying to you. God's lying to you. Now, this today seems like such a trivial issue, whether God's word is completely true or not. But in reality, this is where life and death hangs in the balance. Do you believe what God says is really true? If God says, "If you do this, that will happen. Do you believe him? Now listen, it's when we question God that we think that we don't have to take responsibility for our actions. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, even though we have Scripture telling us there will be consequences for our actions, there will be consequences for our choices, that we will reap what we sow, For some reason, as a culture, we still refuse to accept responsibility for our actions. So the serpent gets Eve to question what she's been told, and he drives the seed of entitlement even further down into her heart. Look what he says in Genesis 3, 5. He says, you won't surely die for it. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And did you see how he was so effective in deceiving her? He began with a lie. Oh, you won't surely die. You know, you don't have to accept responsibility for your actions. Then he reinforces that lie with truth. He says, the reason why God said this is because he doesn't want you to be like him and know the difference between good and evil. Now, this is a very important lesson for us to to take from this passage. Because of the serpent's deception, entitlement was born. Eve was not given an explanation from Adam, nor was she given an explanation from ultimately God. She was just commanded not to eat from the forbidden fruit. So the serpent convinced Eve that God was holding out on her. That at the very least, God owed her an explanation as to why she couldn't eat the forbidden fruit. An entitlement was born in Eve when she bought into the lie that is in deep down in each of her hearts. Because you exist, just because you exist, you are entitled to be God. You think, well, that's pretty bold, John. And I realize that sounds pretty bold, but think about it. Why do we, why does anyone develop an attitude of entitlement? Because we want to be God. We develop an attitude that we are special and now everyone should serve us, that everyone owes us. We set ourselves above others and say, it's your job to give me all the things I think I deserve and want. You owe me everything. Do we really owe you everything? Yes, you owe me everything. You still, still think, well, that's kind of bold, but that's what an entitled person acts like. Think about it. Who do we really owe everything to? Without God, we wouldn't even exist We wouldn't have a chance at hope and joy and peace and life and and goodness and celebration and and parties and all the things that we enjoy, the luxuries that we have, but also the necessities that he gives us. He gives us all those things. He puts us as stewards over his planet. Steward means it doesn't belong to us. We just take care of what is actually somebody else's. So who do we really owe? everything too. What are we saying when we develop an attitude that everyone else owes us? We're saying, I am God. Entitlement is disgusting and it's easy to spot when we're looking at other people, but do you realize that down in each of us, deep down in our hearts, we have an attitude of entitlement that can rear its ugly, disgusting head? It's because we want to be God. The biggest area of our lives where entitlement is the most prevalent is when something happens and we expect an explanation from God. In essence, this is what the serpent told Eve. Oh, you won't surely die. God just didn't want to tell you what's really going on. I think he at least owes you that, Eve. Don't you want to be like God and know why? You know, I can remember countless times in my life when I've looked up and things weren't going the way that I wanted them to. I then demanded an explanation from God. I I often act like if God is going to do something that involves me, he needs to ask my permission first. I mean, God, don't you think you should at least clue me in on what you're doing? I see things like, God, if you love me, you tell me what's going on. But listen, that's just good old-fashioned entitlement with a capital E. The serpent knows that if he could get to Adam and Eve to buy in, if he could get to them and he could get them to believe into his lie, that they could he could form a sense of entitlement in their hearts and that when they felt entitled, disobedience was sure to follow. And according to Scripture, that's exactly what happens. After they taste the forbidden fruit, they realize they're naked and God asks them, Hey, how did you know they're naked? And they are immediate, immediately refused to take responsibility. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent just doesn't have a leg to stand on, but a dean. In truth, Adam and Eve both point the finger back at God and say, "Oh, if you hadn't put this woman with me." And the, the, the Eve says, "Well, if you hadn't put this serpent with me." See, they said it was God's fault that they had disobeyed. But if you're, you, if you look, what you see is a refusal to t- t- to take responsibility in the fact that they felt like they were owed something that God was holding out on them. Are you beginning to see just how deep this entitlement thing goes? How this attitude of entitlement, how deep it is within the human race, it's not just an age problem, it's a people problem. Entitlement is refusing to accept responsibility for our actions and acting as if we're owed. But how could things have gotten so out of control? You know, it seems like our culture today, that their sense of entitlement is so much worse than, than, than 20 to 30 years ago. Well, how has it gotten so bad? Well, before I try to answer that, please allow me to say that I believe we need to be very, very careful not to fall into what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is the belief that we're smart and other generations, either older or younger ones that they're the stupid ones. When we when we see in the scripture how deep entitlement runs, it goes all the way back to the beginning. So younger generations, we don't get to look back at older generations and say, "Wow, well, you guys are so stupid." We're so much more advanced and civilized because, in truth, we're just as guilty as Adam and Eve. you know, if they we were put in the garden, we would have done the same thing. In older generations don't get to look at the younger generation and say, you young punks are a bunch of ingrates. You don't think you have to work for anything, and you think that you're owed everything. That is true, but if we're really taking an honest look, are things really that much worse? Because in truth, entitlement runs deep in each of us. Each of us needs to recognize that we have an attitude of entitlement. However, I think it's undeniable that entitlement is a little bit more prevalent in some people than it is in others. But the question is, why? Is it because some of us are special and more superior than others? Less sinful? Is it because some of us are more saved than others? Come on, you don't really believe that, do you? Surely you know that this disease runs deep even in followers of Christ, right? Everyone has some sense of being owed or of feeling that we are better than others. It's an unfortunate part of being a human. It's part of Adam and Eve's fall from from perfection. What I want you to do is I want you to go up to the next Christian you see and say, "Hey." Your entitlement is showing. You are deeply loved and unique, but you're not special. God doesn't owe you squat. See how that tides over. They might be saying, John, I hear what you're saying, but why is an attitude of entitlement worse in some than it is in others? Does it have to do with the environment they grew up in? Well, um, Doctor in Dr. Henry Cloud's book, The Entitlement Cure... He challenges us not to believe that. He says, It's tempting to make excuses for our loved ones, even ourselves, who evidence an attitude of entitlement. People's life experiences may influence them towards entitlement, but they don't create entitlement. Many people who have suffered greatly in life, experiencing poverty, child abuse, chaos, they still take responsibility for their lives and, choose, and they, they choose not to blame anybody else but themselves. And there are individuals who have had it all, love, support, opportunity, who nevertheless see themselves as owed by life, by society, by those around them. So if it's not our environment that causes this, where does it come from? Why is it worse in some than others? Well, this is what Dr. Henry Cloud says. He says at some point in life, people choose entitlement. Why? Ultimately, it's because at least in their view, it's the easy way. See, it's easy to believe that you're special and wonderful and that you deserve special treatment. Especially when that's what we wing our children on. We we tell them, you know, you're gonna go places, junior. Or daughter dearest, you're a princess. And we allow our selfish desire to draw our self worth out of our children's success. You ever seen a parent living vicariously through their child? It happens. It's it's the idea that if my children are successful, I am therefore a successful parent. And so we end up doing a lot of damage without meaning to. Dr. Anglin Cloud gives some examples. He says, we praise our children for what takes no effort. Let me ask you a question. Where will a little girl draw her identity from if all we do is tell her how beautiful and pretty she is all the time? Listen, she is beautiful. But if we continually praise her for what takes absolutely no effort on her part, I can almost guarantee what would happen. She will likely draw her identity out of her outward beauty, and there will there might be come, there might come a day when she might only think she the only value she has is in her outward beauty, and neglect the person God is calling her to become inside. But one of these days, her beauty will fade, and she might be so desperate to look young again. That she will go through all kinds of extreme measures just to try to find the thing that brought her love and acceptance. You're so beautiful. That's right, I am beautiful. And now I deserve special treatment. He says we contribute to the attitude of entitlement when we praise and reward our children for what is required. Oh, wow, thank you so much for cleaning your room. Here's your allowance. Congratulations, you passed. Now let's go out for ice cream. Well, I guess nobody studied for this test. We're going to have to grade on the curve. Praise and reward should be res- reserved for those times when someone stretches him or herself beyond the norm, when they put extra effort into a tasks, uh, task or exceeds expectations. Erin told me that she had a professor at a at, uh, uh, college she went to that he walked in on the first day of class and said, I don't believe how most professors uh, grade is very fair. And so I just want you to know ahead of time that if you don't go over and above the requirement, you will not get a B. And unless you amaze me, you won't get an A. It can be done, but it isn't very likely that you will get an A in my class. At least in his class, nobody was going to get rewarded for doing what was required. But you know, we also, we create this this entitlement, this attitude of entitlement when we praise our children for things that aren't specific. I just have to tell you, Junior, you're, you're just awesome. You're a great human being, being just because you're you. Now, Mom, I'm sure you feel that way, but listen, nobody else does. And you're setting that kid up for failure because one day he's going to leave the home, he's going to go out into the workplace, and he's going to say to himself, I'm special, I'm somebody. And you see, nobody else is going to feel that way. And I hate to tell you this, Mom, but your kid's not really even that smart. Now, I know I'm just being mean, but seriously, it's no wonder that we have an out-of-control generation of entitlement entering our culture. We've raised our kids, allowing them to believe that everyone else thinks that they're amazing when not everybody else does. The principal at school certainly doesn't think they're special. Maybe special needs. You know, Dr. Cloud tells a story about a guy who's interviewing for a job about halfway through the interview. The employer stops the interview and says, okay, I thank you for your interest in this position, but we're not interested in hiring you. And the guy says, what do you mean? I I have several great recommendations. And the employer says, yes, sir, I I know that, but we're still not interested. And the guy says, there must be some mistake. I mean, this was supposed to be a 40-minute interview, and and you made up your mind in less than 20 minutes? Why aren't you going to hire me? And the employer says, sir, can I just be honest with you? The whole time I was interviewing you, you were texting on your phone. You can't text on your phone and tell me that you're interested in this position. Well, a couple hours later, the employer gets a call from the guy's parents reassuring her how big of a mistake she's making because their son is really, really special. Well, guess what? You're the only people that think that. We can develop a sense of entitlement that can actually come from a complete lack of warmth. And I know it's kind of ironic considering that nonspecific, undeserved praise can cause entitlement, but if you think about it, it makes sense. We all need to know that we are loved and accepted in a community. We need to know that people love us and that we belong. When we don't receive the love that we desperately need, we can often create what's called a defensive, grandiose identity. And in order to protect ourselves from the emptiness and the harshness of our environment, we can create a larger-than-life self-centered identity that helps us keep the loneliness at bay. We say to ourselves, I'm awesome. I'm wonderful. I'm special. It's not me that has the problem. It's everybody else. Everybody else is the loser. And you can see where that goes. If we think that we're special, then we think we deserve special treatment. And this is why it's so important for us to address entitlement and to treat it. We are the embodiment of Christ in the world. If we are the church, if we belong to him, we are commanded to love one another, to give others a place to belong. Now over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the treatment for the disease of entitlement. It's so important that we each learn how to address this, not only in ourselves, but also in our community. Because here's what I believe. I believe God has placed our church, Rungi First Baptist, in this community to reach out and try to minister to the lost sheep, which means we're going to have to reach out and serve this community. Do you realize what kind of people live in this community? I mean, have, have, you, have you been paying attention? In Carnes County, we are, we are the town with almost all the government-assisted housing. And because of the system in which the government has created, it's easy for people to feel like because their situation is so hard, they are entitled to receive care. Now, if they feel that way about the government, don't you think they'd feel the same way about the church, the local church? Remember, entitlement is not the person who has needs or struggles with things that they can't deal with on their own. Entitlement is feeling like you're owed. And guess what? If we're going to do ministry in this town, we need to understand how to address entitlement when we see it. There is a wrong way to address entitlement. You don't say, hey, I do owe you. Here you go. Everything that you want or need, it's all yours. But you also don't say, get up. Stop doing the things that are self-inflicted. You don't deserve help, and you're not going to get it from me. You know, we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about this issue, and I pray that you'll join us. But I especially am going to challenge you to spend some time in a small group talking about the things that we're learning on Sunday mornings. That's where the most reflection and learning is going to happen. We need to do things that make an impact in this community. And throwing money at people isn't the answer. But turning our backs on them isn't the answer either. You say, well, wait, what do we do when we realize that we're consumed by entitlement. What I would say is we need to trust in God that there is hope that things don't have to stay that way. For now, I want you to go into your small groups and talk about it and come back next week because we're going to talk about some real solutions for how we can help the entitled person, especially if that person is us. Today, I just want to end with a passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way we are, yet was without sin. Let us then boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.